Knowing who you are and why you're here is important. Now, when I was in college, I had a friend. I had a friend who uh, was a big swimmer. He loved swimming. And uh, he tried to persuade me, Jeff, you're a swimmer too. He loved swimming. He said, there's, there's all these great reasons why you should swim. And so he convinced me to get up with him for months at 6 o'clock in the morning and go to the pool and swim because I was a swimmer. And there's all these great reasons to swim. And then one morning, just swimming laps in that cold back and forth pool, going back and forth, I was like, who am I? I'm not a swimmer. Why am I here? And so I realized I am not a swimmer, so I stopped. And I realized I am actually a bicyclist. Because I want to, I like bicycles. I'm going to ride a bicycle because there's lots of great reasons. You can go faster, you can exercise more fun. So I started riding a bicycle. And then I moved to El Paso. And then I had a couple kids, and uh, life gets crazy, and cycling takes lots of time, and you can get run off the road here. And so I was like, who am I? I'm not a cyclist. Why would I do this? So I stopped, and I realized I'm a dad. Why? Because I have children, and they need me, and so I am a dad. And as a result of that, now I am working on my dad bod a little bit. Get a little bit of stuff here and there. But all that is to say that knowing who you are and why you're here makes a difference for how you live your life. It makes a difference for how you grow and in what ways you grow. You think about it. Over five years ago at this point, Las Tierras became an organized congregation, a church, being so thankful for what God has done. He raised up the Padillas and the Snyders and some others who are here that I've seen a long time before that. And he did a work. And it's because, in part, God gave them a vision, a sense of who they were as a congregation, as a multicultural people transformed and gripped by God's grace with a vision for why they were here that was beyond just themselves. And what's maybe even more important was knowing how they would be fruitful and how we would be fruitful for God's kingdom. Now many of us here were not here that long ago, five years ago. I wasn't. I'm only a three-week-old pastor. So (laughs) we all need to be reminded. We need to be reminded of who we are why we're here as a congregation and as a church, as Christians. And how will we will be fruitful in the mission God has for us. And this passage in 1 Peter chapter 2 gives us a picture of the who and the why and even the how of our, of our church. And so let us pray. Father, it is your word that we come here to hear. We long for it like... Um, spiritual milk, oh Lord. Help us to long for it more. Help it to transform us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So who? Who are we? Who are you? What this passage, I think, first and foremost, it tells us, one thing that I will say is that it, it tells us that you are the spiritual family of God, chosen and precious in God's sight. We are the spiritual family, chosen and precious in God's sight. Now, to understand that, we need to look at some of the background of this passage. 
See, Peter, in 1 Peter, is writing to the churches in northern Turkey who are dispersed across this area. And for some reason, they face various forms of persecution. Chapter 4 of this book leads us to think that it was at least verbal abuse, at least discrimination verbally. It says that they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. So at least the, the form of persecutions that the Christians are facing is verbal abuse and discrimination. And what's the effect of this kind of suffering, of this kind of abuse? This kind of rejection, verbal abuse, discrimination, over time, can make any of us think, well, our society and our neighbors reject us, and so maybe God has abandoned us too. Maybe God is not interested. Maybe we're not that important to Him. But then First Peter, Peter says here in chapter 2, he says, look at Jesus. Do you see who Jesus is? Look at verse 4. He says, As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Do you see who Jesus is? He was rejected by people, but He is chosen and precious in God's sight. Do you see who Jesus is? He was not just rejected. He was actually crucified on the cross. It says he is the living stone, the cornerstone. And if that is who Jesus is, this cornerstone, this most important precious stone to Jesus to God, then who are we in Jesus? You see verse 5. He says, "And you yourselves like living stones are being built up into a spiritual house." See, if Jesus is the chosen and precious cornerstone, if Jesus is chosen and precious in God's sight, and we in Jesus are stones being formed together with Him, what does that mean about who we are? He repeats it again in verse 6, that Jesus is the cornerstone, chosen and precious. And if we are in Jesus and we are stones built together with Him, then we are chosen and precious in Him, in God's sight. And verse 6 says, And whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. You see, the point, what I think, one of the points that I think Peter is making, and the point for us, is that just as Jesus is chosen and precious in God's very eyes, so we in Him, as God's people, are chosen and precious. This talk of, of being a, a new and a living temple, this idea that a temple where God is happy to dwell, that we form these blocks, these living blocks. It's saying God is happy to be here with His people. This is not talking about you know, talking about living build, living blocks and stuff. It's not talking about this idea of Minecraft. And some of you who are younger know that game. It's a block world of 3D stuff, and everything's these living blocks. It's not saying anything like that. Nor is He saying 
this thing like this little kid's rhyme that you may have heard. You know, you know how that this kid's rhyme goes from a while ago. Maybe some of you do. It says, "Here is the church. Here is the steeple. Open the doors and see all the people." See, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying the church is this building and then inside of it all of a sudden you find these people. Rather, what we are saying is that we are God's church. We are God's people. We are God's chosen and precious people. That's what he is saying. It's saying we are God's chosen and precious people and that in that we are also a spiritual family. He says in verse 9, you are chosen race. You are a people for his own possession. People, that's kinship. That's what he's saying. And this idea of being built into a spiritual house is this idea that we are a family of God. And this is one of the major images that the New Testament uses to talk about who we are as a church, as God's people. We are family. Galatians, Ephesians, 1 Timothy, 1 Peter, the whole book of Philemon. All is saying that you are a spiritual family. And as so, you are precious in God's sight. And this needs to take, in some sense, a local and real reality. It's not just all of these people. It takes a, a local and tangible expression to this reality of specifically caring for each other as families actually do. Which means when we're sick, we visit each other. When we have babies and we are crazy, that you bring us meals for each other. And we do things like these things for each other. But I think there's also a wider application. There's a wider application of this reality. When we remember that all Christians are a spiritual family who are chosen and precious in God's sight. That all of us are. And what this means, I think, that all Christians are God's chosen people, a family, means that at least we should care for each other. It means that we care and listen to them, to churches in El Paso that we may disagree with in many things, or that are different, that we do not speak bad about them. Are they not chosen and precious in God's sight? Are they not our family? It means we must work very hard to listen to our brothers and sisters, to Christians who are different from us. This includes cross-generational listening. I I think that's probably one of the hardest. I understand 25-year-old Hispanic kids way better than I understand 75-year-old white people. Cross-generational, that's something hard. And we have to work hard to listen to each other. Listening to each other's other ethnicities and other classes and even political perspectives. Because are we not all God's chosen people in Christ, a family? I think this is partly why Peter says in the very beginning in verse 1, Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. How do we end up being malicious? That is, speaking and having hateful feelings of Christians, of our own brothers and sisters. How do we do that? 
I think part of it is because we forget that they are our brothers and sisters who are precious in God's sight. How do we end up being deceptive and hypocritical and envying and slandering people of our own flesh and blood as as spiritually speaking of of Christians? How do we do it? Because slander is just making people look bad so you can look good or maybe making them look badder so you can look better. How do we do that? How do we end up slandering brothers and sisters in the faith and other churches here in El Paso? How do we do that to each other? Well, it's actually really easy to do. Think about your kids for a moment, how you relate with your kids and other kids. Let's say, for example, your kid is really mean and domineering to other kids. What do you say about them? Well, she's just confident and independent. But then you see another kid who is being mean and domineering. And you say, that kid, that kid's a bully. We do that all the time. And so we do the same thing with churches. Say our church may be mean and domineering and cold to people. And we say, we are the protectors of the truth. And another church appears to be the same. And what do we say about them? We say, that church is hateful and hypocritical, and they know nothing of the truth. You see, slander becomes the easiest thing to do. And why do we do it, even amongst Christians? I think it's because we forget that we are a spiritual family, chosen and precious in God's eyes, just as Jesus is. You see, we must remember the gospel when we come to remembering who we are. Which is that Christ died for the sins of our brothers and sisters and He united them by faith to Him. And as God sees Jesus chosen and precious and sees Him perfect, so does He see all of our brothers and sisters in the exact same way. So we should long to drink of this spiritual gospel, of this milk. You know, uh, last week, Manuel and Jean and some of us others went to uh, the Global Missions Conference for the PCA. And one of the speakers was a guy named Scott Sauls. And he's a pastor and a blogger. And he asked this question. And it's a question that gets to the heart of if we really see each other as spiritual family. And this is the question he asks us. He said... Who do I feel more kindred to? Do I feel more kinship with those who share my faith, but not my politics? Or those who share my politics, but not my faith? To who do I feel more kindred? See, that will tell you as who you see yourself most to be. And somehow in Jesus' followers, there was Matthew the tax collector, who was a Roman tax collector, and Simon the zealot, who was an anti-Roman person. But in Christ, they become God's spiritual family. I think if Las Tierras, as we continue, and we hope of growing as a more multi-generational, as a more multicultural church... We must always remember who we are in this way. We must do it. Then the next question then becomes, if this is who we are, why do we exist? That is, why why are we here? 
see, if we forget our purpose as a congregation and as a church, as Christians, then we drift into being focused onto ourselves. And a church or a family that is focused completely on itself becomes an idol. So why are we here? Well, look with me in verse 5. He starts in verse 5, and then he restates and reiterates in verse 9. In verse 5, he says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a priesthood. So we're all priests. We all have ministry. Why? To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are here in order to offer spiritual sacrifices. And then verse 9, he restates and reclarifies. What are those spiritual sacrifices? Verse 9, look with me. He says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? So that. The reason. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. You see, he's saying, we exist. The reason we are are here is to offer spiritual sacrifices. What are those spiritual sacrifices? It's to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of the dark and into the light. This is why we are here. His excellencies, meaning his virtue and his incredible character and all that God has done and will do. We are here to proclaim the amazing grace of the God who changes us. The wonder of the God who transforms us, brings us out of darkness and into light. We are here to proclaim Him. That is our purpose. This is why we are here. Many of you know Westminster Catechism question one. What is the chief end of man? Or rather put it, what is the purpose that we're here on this world? What's our purpose? And the answer is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Exactly. That is why we are here. And this purpose is hardwired into our DNA. We see it in that we always proclaim the excellencies of the things that we love most. From the very beginning of our life. I'll give you an example. A couple weeks ago, I came home one night and my daughter came running out to me and she said, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy! And she's stomping her feet and she's beating her hands up and she's speaking toddler gibberish language and she takes me back to the hallway, takes me to the bathroom, to her little potty, baby potty thing where she's trying to learn potty training and she just had this little brown jewel in the toilet and she's so excited about it. And she points at it and she says, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy! And she's laughing and she's just talking about it. And I was like, oh, that's so great. And I try to go away and she brings me back, Daddy, 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 look at that. We always proclaim the excellencies of the things that we are most excited about. We do it from the very beginning. Kevin DeYoung, who was one of our main speakers at the missions conference this last week, He put it in a slightly different way. He said, we are all natural evangelists of the things that we love most. That's why we are made. That's why we're here. That's why I tell stories about my children. That's why you talk about your kids and your grandkids and your nieces and your nephews because you love them. And you think they're great. 
see, we always proclaim the excellencies and the wonderfulness of the things that we are most excited about. That is our purpose. But we are here to proclaim the excellencies and the wonderful character, not of ourselves, not of our children, not of our church, but of God who takes us out of the darkness and into the light. You see, we are messengers and representatives of a king, of a good king, who while we were enemies, he let his son to be be killed. He let his son to go into the darkness and take the darkness for us, but then he burst out of the darkness into marvelous light where he ascended to the heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father. And not only that, now, by His Holy Spirit, He works in our lives and He brings us out of the darkness. He brings us into the light. All of His own doing. And we are the merciful recipients of His great grace. He is the one who brings us out of the dark and into the light. And He's doing it to people who are from all tribes and all ethnicities and all people groups all over the world. He is doing this incredible thing. As Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says, He has delivered us. He, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. And one day, this is where the news gets even more incredible. That though we fight right now against flesh and blood, against spiritual darkness in our own lives and in the world around us and in these systems and in these communities, we fight against it. And one day, the darkness will be completely removed. One day, He will come back. And one day, He will wipe away the tears of our faces and take us by the hand like little children into His light. We talk about this, God. This is why we are here. Now, when we hear this, it kind of sounds like something so epic like the Lord of the Rings or like Star Wars and in Lord of the Rings where Gandalf and Aragorn and everybody they're fighting against the dark forces and Sauron and literally light against dark or in, in Star Wars you know it's the, the, the Jedis against the, the dark side and you know this is such an epic story and an epic battle and, and in a way the Christian life is is like that but but most of the time our part of it seems really mundane and small you know our mission seems so small it doesn't seem as though we have anything to do with destroying death stars spiritually speaking spiritual death stars we don't feel like that of course we hear of people like Billy Graham and Tim Keller and the Manuel Padillas of the world who are out there blowing up spiritual death stars for Jesus. We hear about those people. But what about us? Remember your purpose. Your purpose is simply to proclaim the character of the one who defeats evil, the one who vanquishes the darkness. That's all we do. And we simply do this in the way we speak and what we do. Me. 
maybe it's something as small as family devotions, trying to sit down for dinner a couple times a night, a couple times a week, and open the Bible and read a couple verses and talk about Jesus. Something as small as that. Maybe it's the sports camp that we do, and being good neighbors, and neighborhood association, and all these little things. Maybe it's something as small as bringing these items that are needed for the center of hope that that bring just a little bit of extra hope against the forces of darkness and human, human trafficking. Could even be the gifts that we bring for this building offering, as small as they may seem. Our job in all these different things and what we say and we do is simply to proclaim the excellencies of the one who removes, who takes us from the darkness into the light. His character, his excellencies. This is why we are here. We're not destroying any death stars. Jesus did that. And this leads us then to the how. How will we accomplish this mission? How will we be Ultimately, as a congregation and as individuals, Christians, how will we be fruitful and seeing our community transform? Well, the answer to that is only by coming to Christ do we grow and fulfill our mission. Jesus is the how. How? Look at verse 3. Verse 4, excuse me. He says, as you come to Him. That's talking about Jesus. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up. One thing that it's saying is, one, we are being built up. It's not like we're the ones hammering the congregation together, building it up. Somebody else is doing it. And it is God. But it says, as you come to Him. It helps in this sense to understand. He's saying, as you come to Jesus, this is how you are being built up together. This is how you are fulfilling your mission. Coming to Jesus, you are being built up. This is... uh, what it's basically saying in the Greek, there's this thing called participles, which they modify the verb. This, as you coming, as you come, is the participle that's modifying, you're being built up. Which is just saying, how? It's, it's saying, how is it happening that we're growing? It's by coming to Jesus. This is exactly what the te- text is saying. As you come to Him. You are growing spiritually, and we are growing missionally in our individual communities as, as families, but even as the church family, only by coming to Christ. And Peter knew this, did he not? I mean, Peter, who wrote this book. Peter. Jesus says to him, remember? You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and not even the gates of hell shall prevail against it. That's what Jesus said about him. And we know who Peter is. Peter's more like Play-Doh than he was like a rock. He was squishy. And he was weak. And he sinned. And he turned away from God three times. But then he came back to Jesus. And Jesus says, I will build my church. 
Peter understood this very well, that it is as we come to Christ, this is how we are built up. And you know what this should do for us? I think this makes us humble, but it also gives us hope to keep going as a congregation. There's a humility because he's the one who's doing it. But there's also hope because he's the one who's doing it in spite of us sometimes. A number of years ago, when I was 10 and my younger brother was 2, we were staying at my grandparents' house. And uh, my grandparents were gone. So my parents and my family were staying at my grandparents' house. And my brother and I are sharing a bedroom. And it was early in the morning. And he had pooped his diaper. And I smelled it all over the... I smelled it and... I decided, you know what, I'm going to be a big help to my mom. It's really early in the morning, so I'm going, to, I'm going to take my brother. I took him down to the living room, and I was going to change his diaper. So I get him on the floor, there on the living room floor, and it was a brand new living room floor. They had recently changed the carpets. And uh, we're, I got my brother there, I got some wipes. I'm opening the diaper, and as I open it, I'm just... Uh, blown away by what I saw and it's just like a brain lapse happened and then I realized I forgot another diaper <laughs> so I left my brother there laying on the, on the carpet and I went back up and I went to get a diaper and as I come back down the stairs I see my brother who had gotten all his hands and his feet in his own poop on the carpet and spreading it everywhere I'm 10 years old, and I, I'm like, i got to change this diaper, so I changed the diaper, and I got him all cleaned up. But then afterwards, I saw all this mess of this poop on the floor, every, everywhere. So I went to my mom, and I said, Mom, I changed my brother's diaper, but I needed her. Because she came, and I needed her to clean up all of the mess that I made from trying to be so helpful. In spite of my own best efforts, my mom had to come and clean up the stain and the mess that I had made in trying to be so helpful. See, that's kind of like us in our service to the Lord as a church. Even our righteous deeds are filthy in and of themselves. That's what the prophet Isaiah says. And the fact is that we need somebody else to come and clean up even the good things that we do. They're not as good as they should be. And they're not as pure as they ought to be. But again, back to the scripture, it says, how are our offerings acceptable to God? Verse 5. They are spiritual. We offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You see, He comes and He cleans up all of the offerings that we make. All the help that we try to offer the world. He presents it to God through what He has done perfectly. And because of it, somehow, God accepts our proclamation, our work in what we do and what we say. I was recently talking to a man. Um, I was recently talking to a man uh, from Central El Paso. He doesn't come to our, our, our church. Um, we're talking about this idea, how even as Christians, the things that we do, our offerings are only acceptable through Jesus. And he was telling me how he grew up in poverty in central El Paso and how 
Many of his friends, when he went to high school, they dropped out of school. They got messed up in, in the problems. But he worked hard. And he went to college. And he met his wife. And he had two kids. And now he's part of a church. And he's serving. And when we were looking at this, that even as Christians, what we offer is only acceptable to God. This is what he said. He said, I see how I can make my family into an idol of my accomplishment and hard work. See, I work so hard for this. And so our tendency, like him, is to say, I work so hard and look where I am compared to those other people, those other families. And we conclude that it's something of us. But it is only of Jesus who transforms us. It is only Christ by His grace that any of us, our communities, our families, our churches, are transformed. Do you see how humbling and hopeful this is? You see, if you see how broken your family is, compared to what you think is the ideal home, there's hope, because it's Christ. And if we think that our families are so good... There's humbling, humility here. Because it's only Christ who does it. Coming to Him. It is Jesus who makes us a spiritual family, chosen and precious in God's eyes. It is Jesus who brings us out of the darkness and into His light to proclaim God's greatness. And it is Jesus who takes all of our service, all of our work, and makes it fruitful and acceptable to God. Behold this amazing God. Let us pray. Oh Jesus, we need you by your Holy Spirit to remind us who we are. That we are not rejected as the world would make us seem or our sin would make us feel. But we are precious in God's sight. Help us, O Lord, to proclaim that in all that we say, in all that we do, that you are the one who brought us out of darkness and into the light. And Lord, we pray over the next years as a church and as the families of this church that we would always come to you because you, Jesus, are the one who takes the little things that we offer and makes it acceptable to our Father. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.